Good morning. Good morning. It's great to see you today. My name's Colin. If you don't know who I am, it's really good to see you. I want to extend my welcome again to you. If you're a guest here today, maybe for, your fir- for the first time, I just want to welcome you again. It was really good having Brian Mowry all the way over from the USA with us last week. He came to speak to us and I'd just recommend if you didn't catch that, just to check it out on the website. You can hear it again there. If you've got any decisions to make in life, and I think most of us have got hundreds of decisions to make each day, I'd really recommend listening to, the, to that. Before we get started, I just want to say um, we're having baptisms here next week. That's July the 8th. So next Sunday, that is July the 8th, isn't it? July the 8th, next Sunday here. And it's a bit shorter notice than we'd normally do, but I just want to say don't let that stop you. If you haven't been baptised, we'd love to hear from you and chat to you a bit more about that. Maybe after this meeting, it'd be great to baptise you next week. We're going to be back in the book of Philippians this morning. You haven't got Brian from the USA, you've got Colin from Sidcup. But I hope you can bear with me a little bit. Thank you, that's very kind of you. Um, I'm going to be reading from chapter 4 in Philippians, verses 8 to 9. So if you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to it. It should come up on the screen as well behind me. It already has. There we go. So you can follow it there. It's a little book, Philippians, but it's packed, isn't it? We can sit through and you can read it in 15 minutes straight through. Not even as a, you're not a fast reader to do that. But yet we've been going over it and over it over the last few months. It's absolutely packed. And today, in just a couple of verses, I want to help us to see five things that I really think are going to help us and equip us in our walk with God. So let's read together. So Philippians 4, 8 to 9. Finally, brothers or brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The church is God's family. We're family Paul starts with finally brothers, or finally brothers and sisters, to be more precise. Finally, or concentrate now, he says. Because Paul's covered a lot of, a lot of ground in, his, in this book, and he's approaching the end of his letter, and he wants to give us some strong, practical help, some strong advice towards the end. Paul wants to tell us some things that are both good in themselves and beneficial to all. And there's an element of common sense in the things that he's going to share. And I love that about Paul because you read his letters and there's some really deep theology, some really deep things, but he always grounds it in the everyday. He says, brothers and sisters, this letter is written to family members, the church of God. And we mustn't miss this. We were singing about this in our time of worship. In Christ, this is who we are now. We're not just a a group of people meeting to sing some nice songs and clap a bit and hear some facts. We're the precious blood-bought people of God and in community together. And for this to be real, for this to to have meaning, it, it has to be so much more than just meeting together on a Sunday. Perhaps you're here today and you feel lonely. You you don't know many people. You feel a bit isolated. It says in Psalm 68, 6, it says, God sets the lonely in families. In Christ says, you have many brothers and sisters. If you just look around in the seats around you, we're genuine family now. This is the wonderful grace of God. You might need to take a step towards others. We have to do something with that truth. We've got loads of communities here at New Community. And so if, you, if, you, if you're not part of a community, I'd like to say, ask one of our host team, one of the guys in the blue T-shirt, ask me and we can point you in the direction of a community that might work for you. You might say, community, seriously, I'm way too busy for that. My work life, my, my, my home life is, is busy. I haven't got time for that. 
or there isn't actually one, I've looked in the book and there isn't actually one that I, I'd like to be part of. But I'd like to say, think again. The investment is worth, is vital to your walk with God. It's worth the effort. We're not churchgoers. That's not what Jesus died and rose again for. We're children of God. Some older, some younger, but family. God puts us together with all our differences, all with something to offer. I've got four children, ranging from four to nine. Is that right, Han? That's right, yeah. And uh, they've all, they're all different. They've all got something different about them, different temperaments, different skills, different likes. And uh, what, my youngest, Sophie, she's a little firecracker. She is so strong-willed sometimes. <laughs> it's just so much. But she's brave as well. And she's sparky. She's always in the thick of a scrap. You leave her for a second. She's climbing up the, she'll be climbing up the pillar. She'll be jumping off or something. And the other week, Hannah and I, we were sitting on our decking. And we've got a sloping garden. So the decking's quite high. And we're chatting about something. And she calls out to us. Dad, Mom, look. And she's on the edge of this decking. And it's quite a drop down to this concrete floor that's there. And it slopes, as I say. The other side of that, there's a, there's a summer house that's got a broken wooden flooring because I haven't had time to fix it yet. And it's a drop. And she's on the edge, two-footed. She's not like a little bit like this. She's two-footed. And I've got no time to stop, and, to stop her doing it. And she goes, she's seen her brother do it. And he's twice the size of her. But it, she's seen him jump it. But she's going to do it. And she goes and she jumps not just a little bit she goes two footed and we're in the air stop 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 but she's gone and she hits the other side and she stacks it because it's a broken wooden flooring so she's going to stack it but she got back up and I'm rushing over and she's like dad it's right didn't even hurt didn't even hurt that's what she says she says it every time it did hurt it definitely did hurt but another one of my daughters is quieter she's more timid she's prone to getting worried she needs a little bit more encouragement does that change anything for them family-wise? No. They're sisters. They need each other. They bring something unique to the table. I'd miss any one of their differences. They're beautiful differences. And that's us. That's the church. Some are loud. Some are bold. Some are risk-takers, cuts and bruises, climbing up stuff, Joe. And some, some are quieter and more timid. But we're different and unique. Do you feel this morning that you, you, you don't have much to offer? that you wouldn't be missed if you weren't here. Well, I want to say you do and you are. You have that thing that only you can bring. I'm not going to break out into song there. You're special. You're chosen by God for a purpose and for us all. We need what you have. The church is the loved, chosen, a messy family of God. And that's the grace of God. That's the good news. Jesus pursued us as a people. He did what we could never do. He found us out and he's got hold of us, not the other way around. And that means that it won't change because he won't let go. That's grace to us. Jesus reconciled a people of every tribe and tongue, so different and yet together. The cross is the great equaliser. And that's what the church should reflect, unity. Brothers and sisters, but celebrating our beautiful differences. Yeah, we squabble sometimes. Just like a family, there's challenges. But there should be deep, deep love. And actually, it's a gospel issue that we take steps to get to know one another deeply, despite our differences. A diverse family growing together in maturity in God and following Jesus. Paul moves on. He says, what we fill our minds with matters. It really does. If you want to believe what I've just been saying about grace and family... We want to move on in the adventure that God has for us. If we want to live lives with purpose and grow up in him, we must think right. 
thinking things that will build us up and help us to live right. You might battle depressive thoughts and anxiety, low opinion of yourself. You might feel condemned. Or the opposite, you might just absolutely love yourself and struggle with not being able to stop thinking about yourself. But as a man thinks, so he is. It's someone who's far cleverer than me. I'm not sure he is. We need to discipline our minds and put healthy stuff in, not fill them with the wrong things or just empty them. Some of us can be very outwardly disciplined in fitness or in diet or at work, but we can be really undisciplined up here in our thinking. We get fit because we want to look good or we think about work all the time because we want to be more important or want more money. But physically looking good and living longer and earning more money is not the abundant life that Jesus talked of. Obviously, it is good to be careful with our diet and keep fit. This isn't an excuse. There's a connection between our bodies and our minds. But it's, and it's also good to work hard for the glory of God. But it's got to be in the right place. Verse 8, with its whatevers, has a kind of poetic style to it. The list isn't specifically Christian. There's good things uh, in them where, wherever they're seen. And it's definitely not a self-help list, a list to just tick off and do. It's not self-sufficiency. This is Christ's sufficiency. We can't take it out of the context of all that Paul has already been teaching us in Philippians 1, 2 and 3. There are many dangers to our thinking and that's why Paul is saying that we must discipline our minds. What we think matters to how we live for God. We must watch our unseen thoughts and capture them for Christ. He says as we think on the following things, as we meditate on them wherever we find them, then the results will help us for life and action. Our thoughts, what we think about, give character to our lives. Fill your minds, Paul says, with things that inspire worship of God and serving others. And exactly the same way, we all know that um, if you eat junk food every day, it won't help us grow. And so that what we think about, in exactly the same way, will help us build us up or harm us. Sow a thought and reap an action. Over and over, the Bible anchors right actions in right thinking. So if you're living a, a, a life of defeat, you have to work it all the way back to the fault life. So we're going to dig into these six whatevers and we're going to sow some faults. Some of them will go into a bit more depth than others. The first one is whatever is true. Paul urges us to set our minds on the right things, on things that are true as opposed to what? Lies and fantasy. We could be living under lies about who we are. Perhaps you, things that we've grown up with, things that were said over us. You're not good enough. You, you've got to do better. So we strive and we're restless or we live with a, a sense of worthlessness even when we actually achieve good stuff. And lies can trap us because they wrap around us and they choke out joy and freedom. Lies stop us from taking part in things with, with other people or having confidence in our own voices. Lies cause us to work harder and hurt ourselves physically because we don't rest. We could be anxious because of lies, saying, that's, that's just the way I am. I'm just an anxious person. But that's a lie, because in God, that's not true. What's the antidote to anxious thinking? It's not self-help. It's not self. It's a looking to God. It's a dwelling on who he is. His character is worshipping the all-powerful, all-knowing one who never changes. We need to fill our minds with truth. Not just facts, because there's some things that are factually true, but they're just not healthy for us to dwell on. So what is truth? Psalm 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is truth. 
John 17, 17 says, your word is truth. We run a, a free for purpose course here a couple of times a year where we spend time getting the truth into us, understanding identities in Christ, using, knowing how to use the word of God as a, a weapon to battle lies. And that's not just a one-time thing for new believers. We need to keep pursuing truth. We have to do something. It might be a next step this morning to, to come and find out a bit more about that course. Practically, I want to say that there's no better way to start the day and to set the agenda for the day than by starting it in the Bible and in worship, focusing on God's truth. Let me encourage you to carve out some time, even if you're busy, you're rushing out straight out the door, just for a bite-sized bit in the Bible. It's been said that the blue whale is the biggest, massivest creature on this planet. And it weighs tons. It's huge. If I saw that thing in the water, I'd be freaking out. I'm sure you would be too. It's massive. And yet it feeds on the smallest, plankton. But it feeds regularly, consistently. We grow big and strong in God by feeding on the word of God. Consistently feeding. Not just reading it off, ticking it off. Getting it into us. One of my favourite writers, Francis Schaeffer, in one of his books he talks about how he used to wake up day after day already feeling defeated. He realised that from the, the moment he woke up, this is the same for us, the moment he woke up to the time he went to bed, he was bombarded with messages, news, adverts, in our day, tweets and texts and people's opinions and on and on and on. All messages that tell it the world's way and not God's way. So he decided to fight this by starting the day reading God's message first and then he could view the, the, all the other messages through the, the, this lens and it changed him and I love that that's helpful it's like saying it's a good idea to eat breakfast before you go out uh, into whatever you're doing for the day it gives you energy but it's far better than that because Jesus said for man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God what happens when you skip breakfast in the morning you generally feel less energy you end up potentially snacking or eating any old junk that keeps you going, but it does no long-term good. So Paul says, feed well. The second thing he says is, whatever is honourable or noble, is another way of saying it. Thomas More said, occupy your minds with good thoughts or the enemy will fill them with bad ones. Unoccupied they cannot be. We're not to drift in our thinking. We don't just empty our minds. Because we fantasise and we indulge our minds in the things and wants of life. We pursue things mentally. We can't afford to just sit there neutrally. So we need to be on the offensive. Paul, Paul says, think on things that deserve honour, not baseless stuff. Sitting there watching one of the, the many reality TV programmes today with the so-called perfect life and perfect people probably is not going to help us very much in being contented in our own lives. Read books, watch programs that inspire bravery, outward love, noble things that inspire us to give of ourselves and not to live selfishly. I want to recommend Christian biography. There's loads. It inspires me to live for Jesus, to be bold when I hear how someone like John G. Patton left a comfortable home to go preach the gospel to an island of cannibals. I mean, seriously, what have I got to worry about with my next door neighbour? Listen to this in his diary before he left. People thought he was reckless and mad, and he probably, to be honest, was a little bit. But this is a really helpful, faith-filled comment said by someone in his congregation. He said, One dear old Christian gentleman whose crowning argument always was, the cannibals, you're going to be eaten by cannibals. At last I replied, 
Mr. Dixon, you're advancing years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honouring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or worms. When I find myself complaining of tiredness or difficulties, to read how within the first year, Patton had to bury his own wife, himself, because there was no doctor to save her and there was no undertaker to, to bury her. And he carried on with the mission that God gave him to the very end of his life. That inspires me. That spurs me on. Paul says, whatever is just or right, the Bible says that Jesus loved righteousness. And he hated wickedness, loved righteousness. Righteousness or living God's way. We don't just love something, despite we might ban that word around today. It takes time to love. We have to know what it is that we love. And we have to think about righteousness before we can start to love it. What is living God's way? Well, it's loving God first. It's loving others. It's laying down our rights for them. It's living lives of holiness. It's watching our lives all the way down to the unnoticed. Being truthful in our dealings with others, even when to do the opposite would go unnoticed. It's asking ourselves practical questions like, is it actually right to to watch that film for free on that website instead of buying it? It's turning from the desire to think badly of someone when they don't do what what we want. God himself is righteous, and he loves righteousness in his people. So let's think on what it means to be like him. Whatever is pure... Purity is a beautiful word. It says in Ephesians 5.3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Not even named. We live in a culture that's impure and sexual and greedy. We are to shout it down and hate it. We're to be in it and we're to redeem what we can, to creatively put out great work. But we should also stand against evil. Purity Purity is for all of us, but I want to say a particular word to men. We need to fight for purity in our thought life, to be disciplined. Because there's an ease of unaccountable access to images today. And we must keep one another accountable. Be honest with one another, not hiding in fear or shame. Because iron sharpens iron. I want to say keep the story of Joseph in Genesis regularly in the mind. When given an easy opportunity and no seeming cost, what did he do? He fled. Sometimes to flee is literally the best thing to do. Get out of there because it's going to hurt you. And here it is. Jesus gives us the power to say no, to break chains, to get accountable. Whatever is lovely. Literally, this means that the things that cause us more to love, feed yourself on those things. Things that are attractive, that give pleasure and don't cause distaste in others. Things we watch, the music we can listen to can hurt our thinking long after we stop. Before I was a Christian, I used to love mafia movies, like the gangster ones, the violence of the better. I loved them. But when I met Jesus and I watched them, I felt yuck inside because they fed sinful patterns in my head of violence and anger and hatred and, and wanting more and more things. So I had to say no. I do not watch, just sit there watching Mary Poppins now or rom-coms. I mean, my wife does make me watch a lot of rom-coms, but... It's not the point. The point is we have to be careful with what we watch. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. It could be anything. It could be certain friendships that are full of gossip or or negative. Or it could be blog sites that are filled with self-obsessed thinking. A magazine filled with big houses and nice cars. Does this thing cause you more to love God and others? 
That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Whatever is commendable, that's the last thing. Whatever is admirable, does a thing deserve a good reputation? Is it good for me to talk with others? Can I recommend it? Paul summarises this whole list with, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, because it matters. And it's hard to think like this, because we're, we're surrounded by images and words, which can easily lead us off in a different direction. But what we think about, it's not something that can be seen by others. It's part of our secret life with God. But it's vital to standing fast in God. Our thoughts are like the roots of a tree. And our ability to withstand the storms of life depends on the strength of the unseen parts. Verse 9, Paul says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Notice Paul is not ashamed to put himself forward as an example of a life to follow. Forward, taught and lived as an example to follow. And it starts with the way we think and how we choose to fill our minds, and then it moves outwardly. He encourages them not only to, to follow his teaching, but his lifestyle, what they had seen and heard. It's not wrong for us to, to look at other Christians who are further along. When we see fruit in their lives, that's a good thing. It's helpful for us, helpful for us to follow others so long as they are modeling themselves on Jesus. And the, uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, he puts before the readers, his readers the example of the great men and women of faith in Hebrews 11. But then in Hebrews 12, he goes on to urge his readers to fix their eyes on Jesus. We get inspired looking at Jesus and those that point to him with their lives. In Philippians chapter 2, we, I think we covered this a couple of weeks ago, but in verses 5 to 8, we see what that is, what that example is, the way of Christ He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't grasp his own position, but gave himself up for others. He came to serve. He was humble and obedient. He gave his own life to rescue people who had rejected him like me. He obeyed God's purpose for his life and not his, not his own agenda. And it cost him everything. We read how he lived and how he, what he prioritised and he is the supreme example of a Christian. He did what we couldn't do in the gospel. He, he got us right with God. But once we're in Christ... God is now making us increasingly like him in the Holy Spirit's power. The way of Christ is counter-cultural. It's hard. It's a dying to and a turning away from our old desires. It's a turning away from a culture that says to gain, you must grasp. And it's an obedience to Christ. Is he Lord of my life in every area? Not just saviour, but Lord. So we're to have this mind among us as we live. What would a things that Paul says the Philippians learned, received and heard and saw in him. Well, I could talk about his passion for prayer. I pray without ceasing, he said. Or the Bible, the fact that he wrote lots of the New Testament. Or his holiness straining forward into all that God had for him. They're all essential for us to invest our time in. But what I want to focus on in the short bit of time I've got left is his passion for proclaiming the gospel to the lost everywhere and planting churches is the only way to do this. Planting communities of believers who were salt and life, light 
in their everyday lives. Believers, and I heard this phrase, I was reminded of this phrase the other week, who gossip the gospel every day, understanding its power. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, says Paul, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to the people you and I live with and work with. We can't lose sight of this as a priority to Paul and the example he says to follow. Paul burned with this in, in, in all he did. He gave himself up for the gospel. He, his own comfort, his life, his old priorities, the path of success that he was even on. And he was following Jesus' example here. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations in Sidka. Where we live and where we work are no accident. You might think it is, I just got that job, I just moved there. But it's not. Because God is sovereign and he's placed us where we are. In the same way, Paul does say, look at others. It might be different things at different stages. Someone else's prayer life. I love the way they pray. They're just so passionate. They're so fervent. Or it could be a family. Like, they're just fun and secure, but really hospitable and outward looking. Their example teaches us. Stuff gets caught, not just taught. In my previous job as a firefighter, I spent five months getting taught stuff. Getting, going through intensive training, getting, reading, learning, learning how to tie fancy knots behind your back blindfolded. Why, you might ask. I had a, a full head and I thought I was ready. But when I got to my first station, I got paired with this older, more experienced guy who mentored me. I mean, his life wasn't particularly one to follow and he wasn't particularly friendly or nice. One of the first things he said to me was, I'm not going to be holding your hand and I'm not going to waste much breath talking to you. But still, <laughs> when I got paired with him and following him, watching him, copying the things I did, he did, I learned 100% more than I'd learned before what to do, what to prioritise, and why fancy knots are really are just for show. But the things he said to me about that are another matter. I might be standing there scratching my head, thinking, what are we going to do with this incident happening? I don't know what we're going to do. And he'd already be, he would have what we need and he'd already be tackling the incident. Or more likely, I'd be panicking and running around like a headless chicken. Going, oh. And yet he was calm and focused. So I stuck with him. I absolutely had no choice, but I stuck with him. And, he, and, and I learned how to keep my head when I needed it most. Mature Christians can serve as role models. Paul shows us here why it's so important for mature Christians who have walked through many seasons of life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to provide example. Paul does also say to Timothy, who's a younger man, that because it's, it's not just a physical age thing, it's a maturity in God. He says in 1 Timothy 4.12, he says, Set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and impurity. So this is for all of us, younger or older. We can be examples in the faith. How do you really trust God with your money when it's going out faster than it's coming in? How do you keep giving and living generously? Or how do you give your time to others, get involved in community, disciple others when your work life's all consuming? How do you stay joyful when you're dealing with a long-term illness? You're waking up in constant pain. And what even is that joy? Because it's not what the world says it is. They're examples you can't learn in a book. I was inspired by a couple in this church, despite some difficulties, despite many ups and downs in life, are going for God. At a time when our culture says, might say to them, sit down, let the youngsters do it. They're full of passion for the church. They're living with purpose. And they said this phrase that stuck in my head. They said, on our tombstones, we want it to read, they died with their boots on. That's commendable. 
That's godly example. Bad examples surround us. Because we, we live in a nation that is crying out for good example, don't we? Example can be given even when you make mistakes, when we don't do very well. I mean, it's really hard to believe, but I do make mistakes in front of my kids sometimes. But because of pride, it can be really hard to say sorry and ask for forgiveness right back in front of them. I want them to see what it means to follow Jesus in every area of my life. And that means an imperfect man pointing to a perfect one, Jesus. They need to see it, not just the good. I mean, I really hope some good, but not just the good. And we want to see it in the ones further on than us. The good example and the mistake that needed correction. We need example. At the end of verse 9, Paul says, practice these things. Practice, learn, keep going and you will grow up and get stronger. My daughter India, she, she wasn't very keen on swimming lessons or swimming, yeah, swimming lessons. But equally, she wants to enjoy the swimming pool. She wants to swim. And each week, it is a battle to take her to the swimming pool. But you can watch someone swim, and it can look quite easy. But until you've been chucked in the pool, you realise how it's not. It's not at all. So we take her, despite the aggro it causes each week. And she does what seems to be the same tedious things week in, week out. But little by little, without even noticing, she's stronger and more confident. You could pick her up and you could chuck her in the deep end. I mean, please don't, because you'll be really upset, especially as I told you that. (laughs) But it's like this in the spiritual life. We, We need to practice. We don't just grow. When we practice, we fall in or life gets tough. We can face it with a peace that the world doesn't know. Do these things, Paul says, and you will grow up in God. You will become mature in Christ. Live as a loved child in the family of God. Be in community, not just attend stuff. Be examples for one another. Fill your mind with good stuff, with truth, and not just rubbish. Live for the gospel in your everyday life. Build friendships and love people by serving and blessing them practically, but also pray for the opportunity to tell people the gospel. We're to speak the, the, the truth to people in the ordinary flow of life. It might mean giving up the idea that our, our home is our castle. It may be fenced literally all around, and I'm not saying go home today and smash up all your fences, as fun as that might be. But a proper understanding of the gospel means that our hearts can't remain fenced. That does need smashing up. Because the people we live with in our streets and at the school gate and at work need to hear the gospel gossiped. And they need to see gospel-centred lives in the normal stuff. It's for us all. It's not just for a far-off distance shore. It's for our neighbour next door. We're all in full-time ministry, says Paul in Ephesians 4. There's gospel opportunity taking your kids to school, shopping, chatting whilst putting the bins out. The gospel transforms our mundane. Paul says, practice putting Jesus first in all of life, not just Sunday. Obeying his word, even the, the habits that we're tempted to brush over, telling others about the new king in town, Jesus. He was secure in his identity in Christ. He was totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. He was living for God's purposes at great cost to his own life and comfort. He was speaking the truth in love to others, what they needed to hear, not just wanted. He was choosing gratefulness over discontent. He was filling his mind with truth so that he could battle fear. He was rehearsing the gospel daily, so that he could say no to feeling condemned about his past. 
He was straining forward into all that God had for his life as a servant of Christ and not living for his own glory. He was facing difficulty with hope, patience and joy. Practice these things in your lives and then practice some more. And there's a wonderful promise for God in all of this. As we look to Jesus, as we discipline our thinking and practice these things, verse 9 says, and the God of peace will be with you. Not just that he gives us peace, it's who he is. To have the God of peace himself is far better even than having the peace of God in verse 7 that he talks of. Peace, peace can be a word that's banded around. It's been described like a spiritual marshmallow, soft and sweet but without much substance. But in the Bible, peace is nothing like that. It's full of strength. The God of peace is the same God who makes peace between himself and sinners. So peace is linked with God's work of salvation. It might be your first step to come and find out more about this peace, this God of peace today, and I'd love to chat with you afterwards. The God of peace is the God of salvation who does away with sin by the cross of his son. The God of peace is the God of power, the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Because the resurrection is the great demonstration of God's power. The God of peace is the God of victory. In light of all this, this is massive for us. This promise carries with it salvation, power and victory all in one. Why does Paul say this? Perhaps this is a reminder to us who often turn delighting in God's love into a list to follow. The Father knows that if we drift from his love in our thinking, we become fearful and anxious. This is a reminder of the presence of God with us. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. We're not alone. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is what changes us. We are a people placed with a great responsibility. God wants to use us. We all have gifts and people to love, but it comes out of his love for us first. The church is a body that works together. But for that to happen, we need to think rightly and act out that. Our hearts and our holiness matter to each other. Paul is talking about a peace that the world doesn't know, and it's one full of power. The task is great, but the power is equal. Remember my youngest daughter, Sophie, who jumped two-footed onto the broken wooden flooring of our summer house. Why did she do it? She looked at Hannah and I. She knew the security of our presence. She knew our love for her, her identity, and that we would be quick to rescue her. She'd seen the example of her older brother jumping before her. And so she wanted to practice. She wanted to take the risk. And she did. And she went for it, two-footed and fell over. But she got up to our embrace and our help. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to come and do some work in our hearts today to know a deeper security of the Father's love and who you are in Christ. He wants to come and bring freedom from the chains of insecurity in our thinking. I'm believing for some two-footed jumpers. All in, knowing God's purpose and power. Power for what? What's this power for? Well, it's power to live at home with your unbelieving family. It's power in your marriage when we're, we're trying to get on with each other. It's power to be a good example when your kids are driving you up the wall. It's power to gossip the gospel to all around us. It's power to tackle finances when we're facing debt and problems. It's power to deal with a health problem that's going to need some perseverance. Power from the Holy Spirit. Power to say no to addictions that have mastered us for too long. 
His power at work when we're fed up, doing the same thing over and over, but we've got no choice. Or in the more normal, mundane areas of our life that we think are just filling the time. That's where we need the Holy Spirit's power. God doesn't leave us on our own. He's with us now. That's the promise of God here. So don't face it alone because you don't have to. Yes, we discipline ourselves and we follow Jesus' example, but only because Jesus has already made, done that, got the victory and made the way. He is with us and for us. As we keep in step with the Spirit, fruit is going to be produced. We don't grasp it and make it happen and all get stressed and tensed because it's joyful and it's wonderful. His yoke is easy. We're a people of the presence of God in power and in experience. And we're a people of promise from the one who cannot lie, who never changes. It's the same yesterday, today and forever. God himself will be our guard and companion throughout this life. Jesus is building his glorious church through us, ordinary family members, filled with his Holy Spirit. Every believer has a part to play in his story. Live with this adventure. Live with his adventure for your, for your life. Whoops. Father, what have you got for us today? So start my day. What have you got for us today? The excitement in that. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your grace, a grace that was so costly to you, and we get to enjoy the benefits of that eternally, Lord. We thank you that we are family here together this morning, brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray for a security in that. I pray for an understanding of who we are and identity. I pray for communities where we live genuine, genuinely live our lives. Lord, I pray that we are people that are rooted and grounded in your great love. Lord, I pray we help us to fill our minds with the truth, with good stuff, to grow up big and strong in you and say no to junk, whatever might hold us back, whatever might weigh us down, distract us, whatever chains have got hold of us. Lord, I pray you come and break them even today. Things that hold us back, Lord, we want to go forward. Holy Spirit, will you help us to be examples to one another? Will we know our place in that, Lord, that we can be? Will we look to each other? Will we help each other? Will we stand with each other? Will we practice gossiping the gospel to all around us? Lord, we want to see many come to know you. Lord, I pray for a boldness in us, even this morning. We can take the normal parts of our life and we can proclaim the gospel in those parts. It's the power of salvation. Thank you, Lord. To, Lord, I pray we will know who it is that's with us this morning, that we are not alone, that we have you in us and with us and that we are not to face things alone. Lord, I pray, God, for a new uh, security and a firm standing upon today of who you are. Lord, will you help us to fix our eyes upon you, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen.